Hello, this is McCray, and I'm a junior at App State, and I have a joke for you. What did the pair of shoes say to the trousers? What up, britches? <laughs> Welcome to RUF. Uh, again, if, you, if you've been with us before, and uh, a special welcome to you if it's your first time or one of your first times, it's, it's really lovely to have you. It's great to have you as our guest, and we do always want to be a place where you feel like you can bring your friends, and they'll be welcome as a guest and treated well, and um, so anyway, welcome. My name's Chris, and I work here, It's just hard to believe. Um, I love Fall Conference, and, and I also love emoji. Um, emoji are the best thing that's ever happened to text messaging. Text messaging is so much better than, like, human interaction because when I talk to you on a text message, I can really ignore you and just put in, like, the most minimal effort possible at communicating, and that's great. And emoji, just take it, like, one step further. It's like, I could say, okay, but then I have to type, okay, and instead I can just hit the, you know, and... Like, you could, you could text me and say, man, that shirt was looking awesome last night. And I could write back, well, I'm awesome, right? Or I could send back the lady pumping the hair. <laughs> and the lady pumping the hair really says so much, than just, so much more than just saying I'm awesome. Because it says I'm awesome, and I'm sassy, <laughs> and I'm fun, and um, I'm a strong woman. And which is what I was, what I'm going for. And um, I love emoji, and I, I really just love symbols and logos and little icons because they can say so much. I mean, you got to think like the block A that you are maybe wearing on your shirt or on your hat. You know, it's like everyone sees that and they know. Okay, that's for Appalachian. That's for Appalachian State University. But sort of what that symbol represents is our whole app family, the mountains, the majesty. Um, of App State. Yeah, I think the Apple, right? The Golden Arches, the swoosh. Um, all of these tiny little icons can really encapsulate an entire brand. And if there was an emoji for the Christian faith, um, that would be disturbing. Um, but if there's a logo or a symbol for the Christian faith, obviously it's the cross. Right? The cross is the thing, when you look at the coexist bumper sticker, Okay, and it has all the different religious symbols. The T, at the end, you go, okay, that is representing the Christian faith. Okay, this is, this is so, sort of what we do. We put it on our necklace as Christians. We put it on churches and all that stuff. But if you think about the cross as like the symbol for, for Christianity, it's really an awkward symbol. Because what we're saying as, you know, the church is the thing that we really want to define us as like a serious faith group here is this first century Roman torture device that our founder and leader was murdered on. And that's what we would like you to identify us with, please, if you could. Um, that's how we would like you to know us. The cross in our mind is like, oh yeah, totally makes sense. But at the I mean, it would be like using like thumb screws, you know, like as like the thing that your, that your religion is known, is known for. And, um, but the cross is a fitting logo or symbol for the Christian faith 
Because the death, the suffering and death of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the faith. And as a Christian, I would argue that the, that the crucifixion of Jesus is the, is the most monumental, momentous moment. It's the most momentous moment um, in all of history. That it is the thing. And if we are going to be known for something as believers, it should be Christ's crucifixion and death. So this semester we've been looking through the Apostles' Creed. If you have your little handout and you open it up, uh, it's printed there. The Apostles' Creed, as I said before, is like an ancient belief statement. But we get to this part tonight where the Creed says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended into hell. And tonight, as we come and we look at this portion of the creed, and we talk about Jesus' death, it's kind of one of those subjects that's like a diamond, and really, you could just keep turning it and look at all the different facets and how the light hits and the colors and the warmth and the nuance, and there's a lot you could say, and I don't plan on saying everything there is to be said. What I'd like to do tonight is look at a story that happened thousands of years before the crucifixion of Jesus. And see how it helps us understand what was happening when Jesus was on the cross. So we're going to look in Genesis 15. <clears throat> and um, because when you want to learn about the crucifixion, you go to Genesis 15. And um, we're going to read that. And I don't usually do this. There's two other passages of scripture in your handout. We're going to refer to those as well. So let's listen and pay attention to God's word here in Genesis 15. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read it with some velocity. Listen, this is the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And of course, you totally understand what that means. And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, 
a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and um, we ask that you would show us Jesus tonight and help us to truly see his work, suffering and dying on the cross, as our greatest hope. Only you can do that, and so we ask that you would be with us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were paying attention to that story, you're probably like, okay, I'm not really seeing the, the carry over here, but I hope by the end of this you'll see that Young Life is having a great time. That's, um, their sound system is crushing it right now. And they're doing great. Um, uh, that was awesome. Um, I wonder what it would take for us to do that. Anyway, um, what would like, get us so excited to do that? Um, so what I want to do, this is what I want to do. I want to look at this story here with Abram and God. As, as a backstory to the crucifixion, okay? Then I want to look at what happens on the cross and see how they, how they work together, okay? How those two things come together. Okay. What's happening in this passage is really weird. It should sound weird to you. What's going on here is that God is bringing Abram to himself, and they're going through what's called a covenant ceremony, okay? Um, a covenant... And they were having such a good time. Um, uh, and we're like, a covenant is a... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, th- this thing seems weird that's going on. If you had been living in the time of Abram, it would make a lot of sense. A covenant is basically a contract between two people. Okay? So, like, Cam Newton has a, has a contract with the Carolina Panthers, at least for now. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, there, there's this, this, this contract, and the Carolina Panthers say, we will pay you and take care of you, we promise to give you these things, if you will play for our team and be loyal to our team, play to the best of your ability, and all these things, right? And that's really what a covenant is, it's a contract between two parties. But what Cam Newton would do is he would sit down with the lawyer and the team, and they would go through the paperwork, and they would sign their name at the bottom, If I break this covenant, then you can sue me or whatever. But things were so much more cooler and intense in the ancient world. And so what they would do is if two guys or two parties wanted to get together, it was usually like sort of a ruler and like a lesser person, like someone had taken over this land and let's make a covenant. They would get together and go, okay, I'm going to do certain things and you're going to do certain things. And the way that we're going to ratify that is we're going to cut this animal in half. Okay. There also was no PETA in the um, P-E-T-A, not the bread or the Hunger Games guy. Um, although I could see this happening in the Hunger Games. Um, they would take an animal, they would cut it in half, and this is what they would say. Look, if I don't keep, they would, they would cut the animal in half and then they would walk through it. Okay, walk through the two pieces, bloody mess, get blood on their feet. And they would say, if I don't keep my side of the deal... May I become like this animal. If I break our covenant, um, may I be ripped apart to shreds, literally. 
Um, and if you break your part of the deal, may you be ripped apart. Actually, the word in the Hebrew when they make a covenant isn't to make a covenant, it's to cut a covenant. So this is a very common thing that they would do. That If, 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 I, don't, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, I'm subject to a curse that looks like being ripped apart. Now, God comes to Abram. Abram, by the way, sounds like Abraham because later God's going to change his name to sound like something that basically sounds exactly like Abraham. Um, but God comes to Abram. Abram is this random guy. He's literally, a, he worships the moon. That's his people. They, they worship the moon. And God comes to this guy, Abraham, and he goes, hey, I w- I'm going to do something special. I'm going to make you a people. You don't have any children and you're old, but I'm going to make you into a people. And I'm going to give you land and I'm going to give you all these offspring. And so God comes to this covenant and he says, look, I'm making a promise to you. I'm going to give you this stuff. And what I'm requiring back from you is only that you stay loyal to me. That you don't serve any other gods but me. If you're faithful to me, you're keeping the covenant. And if I'm giving you all these promises, I'm keeping the covenant. Now, it sounds pretty weird and foreign to us, but I actually think that we are covenant-making people, all of us. We make covenants all the time, and it's part of our DNA. Um, A wedding, okay, many of you want to be married. Some of you are like, please, no, never, that sounds terrible. Um, It's awesome, marriage is a wonderful, good thing. Um, A wedding, if you've been to a wedding, a wedding is a covenant ceremony where two people come together and they take vows till death do them part. And if they're faithful to the covenant, they receive all the covenant blessings, friendship, companionship, intimacy, um, support, all these things, all these wonderful blessings. But if one of the, of, of the members of the covenant marriage is unfaithful, they have, in a sense, broken the covenant, right? They no longer have access to the covenant blessings, right? I.e., the person is no longer probably going to be intimate with you and be your friend and support you if you have been unfaithful to the covenant. You break the covenant, you get the covenant curse, Okay, uh, All of you have roommates, pretty much. You have a covenant going on in your apartment or in your dorm. And it sounds something like, we can be together and be happy and harmonious as long as you don't cook meth in my apartment. Um, as long as you don't offer whole burnt sacrifices in the, in the thing. As long as you don't blare music at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, as long as you don't listen to One Direction in like a public uh, arena. Um, then we're good. That's a covenant relationship. You can't break it. Maybe, maybe your best friend, you and your best friend have a, have a covenant going too. It's like, hey, we can be besties as long as you don't make out with my boyfriend. Okay? You make out with my boyfriend and we are, you're going to get the covenant curse. Okay, sorry, simmer. Um, suffice it to say that in all of our relationships... We make covenants without really realizing it. And it's because it's in our DNA. God has created us in his image. And God relates to people by making covenants. And he says, I'm, I'm making these promises to you. Now your end of it is to be faithful and serve me only. Okay, so that's the backstory. That's the covenant backstory. Um, what does that have to do with the cross? I'm not, I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room, just because you may have grown up in the American South really knows the story of Jesus going to the cross. A lot of you would say, yes, Jesus in some way went to the cross to die for sins. 
I'm not assuming that. If, you, if you're like, this is weird, I don't really know about this. Can I just say that we're so happy that you're here and that you will investigate this stuff with us. And I want you to know that this is a warm, welcoming place for you to process all this stuff. But let me give the sort of Cliff's Notes version of what happened to Jesus on the cross. Last week we looked at, you know, God became a man, he became a human baby. Which just saying that sounds weird, it's supposed to, it's amazing. He becomes a human baby, he's born in this family, and he's basically incognito for like 30 years. This is Jesus. And um, around the time he's 30, he starts walking around and he starts teaching. He's traveling all through um, this little region of Israel, and he's teaching people, and all these people start coming to him, mostly like poor people and outcast, downtrodden type people, down on their luck. They come to Jesus because Jesus is talking about this wonderful kingdom and all this stuff. And he's healing people. He's raising people up from the dead. He's casting out demons. Um, But the religious rulers, the religious elite, the guys that were supposed to get it, um, struggled with Jesus. Uh, It is the case that most of us that are religious rulers, person with R-E-V in front of their name, um, are slow on the pickup. Okay. Um, we don't get things typically as quickly as, uh, as others do. And so the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. There were a few things they really didn't like about him. They didn't like that he said that he was God. Okay, that was a no-no. Nobody says they're God except God. What they don't know is that Jesus actually is God. So <laughs> tricks on them. Um, they didn't like that Jesus said he was God. And they didn't like that Jesus said that he could forgive sins. Okay. They didn't like that. So what they decided to do, because he was challenging their authority, was to get rid of Jesus. And so what they did is they conspired with the government. There was an occupying country, which was Rome. They said, we can't kill this guy, but Rome can kill this guy. So they sort of manipulated Rome and this guy. Okay, when you read the creed, it's really random that it says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Because Pontius Pilate was like a mid-level Roman bureaucrat... You know, he was like a, st- like a state house representative. Like, not in, like, the, the house of representative, but, like, the North Carolina house, you know. He was, he was not an incredibly important person, but the religious rulers went to Pontius Pilate. They said, we got to get rid of this guy. They, they sort of tricked him. And uh, some of you guys know the story. But, so they got rid of Jesus, and this is what they did. Uh, the Romans took Jesus, and they put him on a cross. A cross... Uh, is, as you probably know, it's a big wooden T. They took Jesus' hands, they nailed through his hands, nailed him to a cross. They took his feet, they nailed them into a cross. Even though he had done nothing wrong, Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Yet they crucified him anyway. And uh, I actually just today, providentially, was on Facebook and someone had a link of like the 12 most heinous torture devices of all time. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll check that out. Sounds good. And, um, and the, the cross, crucifixion, was actually on the list. One of the most painful and torturous ways to die. You would hang there. You couldn't lift yourself up after a while because you came out of joint. And slowly you would suffocate because you couldn't breathe or you would die from um, shock. So around 32 to 33 AD, God himself, Jesus Christ in the flesh dies on a Roman cross. And what comes next is really exciting. Don't spoil it if, uh, if your friend doesn't know. Um, we'll, talk about that. we'll talk about that next week. Um, okay, so 
That's the back, the covenant backstory. This is the cross. Okay. Now, what do these things have to do with each other at all? Because I think that understanding the first story from Genesis is the key to understanding what was going on on the cross. I told you that they would take animals and cut them in half. Okay, you saw that. That happened. Abraham, Abraham cuts these animals in half. Now, what's supposed to happen is that both the parties walk through these pieces and say, may I be ripped apart if I don't keep the covenant. But what happens? Look in verse 17 on your handout there. Abram is asleep. Okay? When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. The most common ways for God to show up in the Old Testament of the Bible is through smoke and through fire. And what's going on here is that God himself shows up and he passes alone in two different entities, passes alone through these two cut up animals. And this is this is what seems to be happening. And I'm going to prove it to you in a second. God is saying to Abram, if I don't keep up my end of the covenant, may I become like these animals. And if you don't keep your end of the covenant, may I become like these animals. God is is taking both sides of the covenant and securing them. And look on your, on your sheet there. I have a, a um, passage from Isaiah. I want to read this passage in the passage from Galatians. Surely, this is talking about Jesus. This is before Jesus even was on the scene. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our, sor- our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then from Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. God has made a covenant with his people. And he said, I will, I, will give you, I will give you things, I'll promise things to you. And if you don't keep your end, if you fail to keep your end, I myself will take the curse. I will be ripped apart. Jesus hangs on the cross. It's kind of weird in the, in the creed when it says he descended into hell. It's like, what does that even mean? Jesus hangs on the cross. He's ripped apart from God. He's literally physically ripped apart. He's hanging upon the cross, suffering hell. The covenant curse for us, for, for, for a breaking covenant with God, is separation from God forever and eternal damnation. And Jesus hangs on the cross, and in a sense, hell comes up to him, and he descends into hell fully for people that have been unfaithful, for people that have broken the covenant. Look, all of us in here, I said this the first couple of weeks, and, and somebody was like, you can't say that. All of us in here have broken covenant with God in major or minor ways. Um, and if you, if you look inside, you will, you will know that. Um, but what God has done, okay, we, we talk about this every week, and, and someone stands in the front, and it's funny how we had this like, very particular way. Welcome to RUF. And a thing we, 
we're an organization that's about grace. And the thing that we like to say about that is, I don't know how that became like canonized that we say, a thing we like to say about that is, but I like it. So, But we say you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. What does God's grace mean? God's grace means that when you're unfaithful to him, when you have turned away like sheep away from him and you have rejected him, that he will go and pay and take the curse that you deserve for your unfaithfulness to have you back. And he holds the blessing and he holds the curse in his hand. And all he says is come unto me and rest. Some of y'all, and this, if you're a believer, because I know you and I love you, I know how insecure you are about your relationship with God. And I know it because every time that you sin, you start freaking out. Because you're like, it's in jeopardy. And what God is saying is, this relationship is by mercy. And it has nothing to do with your performance. All that you have earned with your performance is the curse. And let me take that. I will be ripped apart so that you can be with me forever. Um, The icon of the Christian faith is the cross because it tells us that God is merciful and gives grace and that he wants to relate to you, whoever you are in this room. He wants to relate to you by grace and not by your performance. Um, Okay, a question that's good to ask that I like to ask that nobody ever (laughs) answers because I have awesome at small groups is um, if you really believe that, you know, if you really believe this, how would that, how would that change you? Um, What this means for you tonight, regardless of whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, is that if you come to this God by faith, you can have a relationship with him that isn't insecure, that he secures the entire relationship. So if you don't if you have not yet trusted Jesus and you're considering I'm happy that you're here, what could possibly be keeping you from coming to Jesus? What stands in the way if he takes the curse? Um, we all like to hide. Yik yak is a thing. And um, it's a thing. And if you're not familiar with yik yak, yik yak is like Twitter but it's anonymous, which is a great idea. Um, and the beauty of Yik Yak is supposed to be you can be free to say what you want because it's anonymous. Because no one will ever know. And so you can finally, and apparently all that means is like 97% of it is like sex, sexually explicit content, um, which should say something about us. But Yik Yak is saying you can be free by being not known. And what Jesus is saying on the cross is you can be completely known all the way down to the bottom, all the way down to the deep, dark stuff that you don't even know about and still be free and safe. Okay, I I remember what it was like to be in college. I remember what it was like to go back to my parents' house. And a lot of you guys have, have parents' homes that you love. And just to feel like all the time you're insecure, what are these relationships? I remember going back to my parents' house in Byron, Georgia, and I was at Georgia Southern, and walking in at night, and like they're already been, been asleep. 
And just the smell of my parents' house, there was this sense of relief of, I don't have to be somebody I'm not here. I can be me because these are my parents and they know me. And what Jesus is doing is that he's inviting us to be known and to be secure and to be free. Um, You don't have to live insecurely with God. You don't have to hide behind layers and layers and layers of, of cynicism because you're afraid of being let down in a relationship. You don't have to pretend, if you're a Christian, you don't have to pretend that you're not a Christian in your class because you don't have all the answers for your professor. You don't have to pretend that you're not a Christian because you don't have all the answers for your unbelieving friend. You can love people. And you can love God and you can be free knowing that he holds the entire thing and that he will never, ever, ever let you down. The symbol of the Christian faith is a cross because it shows us that we can be free in Jesus. What's keeping you back? Let's pray. Father, thank you um, that... You look at us and you say, if I screw up, um, I'm on the line. And if you screw up, I'm on the line. Thank you for protecting us. And thank you that all you call us to do is to rest in you. Um, Father, we are not good at resting. We are so uh, distracted and busy in our hearts. Lord, would you subdue us? Would you give us freedom from our insecurity, knowing that you know us completely? And if we are in Christ, we are accepted. Lord, would you work by your spirit in all of our hearts, especially those that are considering, what does this even mean for me? Uh, Draw us to you, because we desperately want to be free. pray in Jesus' name, amen.